Section thirty of the Morals, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Simon Brouwer. The Morals, Volume Two, by Plutarch, translated by several hands, corrected and revised by William W. Goodwin. A discourse concerning Socrates' Daemon, Part Three. As soon as he entered thick darkness surrounded him then after he had prayed he lay a long while upon the ground but was not certain whether awake or in dream only he imagined that a smart stroke fell upon his head and that though the spot shooters of his skull his soul fled out which being now loose and mixed with a purer and more lightsome air was very jaunced and well pleased it seemed to begin to breathe as if till then it had been almost choked and grew bigger than before like a sail swollen by the wind then he heard a small noise whirling round his head very sweet and ravishing and looking up he saw no earth but certain islands shining with a gentle fire which interchanged colours according to the different variation of the light innumerable and very large but equal with all round these whirling it is likely agitated ether and made that sound for the ravishing softness of it was very agreeable to even notions between these islands there was a large sea or lake which shone very gloriously being adorned with a gay variety of colours mixed with blue some few of the islands swam in the sea and were carried to the other side of the current others and those the most were carried up and down tossed whirled and almost overwhelmed the sea in some places seemed very deep especially towards the south in other parts very shallow it ebbed and flowed but the tides were neither high nor strong in some parts its colour was pure and sea-green in others it looked muddy and as troubled as a pool the current brings those islands that were carried over to the other side back again but not to the same point so that the motions are not exactly circular but twining about the middle of these islands the ambient sea seemed to bend into a hollow little less as it appeared to him than eighty parts of the whole into this sea were two entrances by which it received two opposite fiery rivers running with so strong a current that it spread the fiery white of a great part of the blue sea this sight pleased him very much but when he looked downward there appeared a vast chasm round as if he had looked into a divided sphere very deep and frightful full of thick darkness which was every now and then troubled and disturbed thence a thousand howlings and bellowings of beasts cries of children groans of men and women and all sorts of terrible noises reached his ears but faintly as being far off and rising through the vast hollow and this terrified him exceedingly a little while after an invisible thing spoke thus to him timarchus what dost thou desire to understand and he replied everything for what is then that is not wonderful and surprising we have little to do with those things above they belong to other gods but as for proserpina's quarter which is one of the four as Styx divides them that we govern you may visit it if you please but what is Styx? the way to hell which reaches to a country quarter and with its head divides the light 
for as you see it rises from the hell below and as it rolls on touches also the light and is the limit of the extremest part of the universe there are four divisions of all things the first is of life the second of motion the third of generation and the fourth of corruption the first is coupled to the second by unit in the substance invisible the second to the third by understanding in the sun and the third to the fourth by nature in the moon over every one of these ties of fate daughter of necessity presides over the first Atropos over the second clotho and lachesis over the third which is in the moon and about which is the whole will of generation all the other islands have gods in them but the moon belonging to earthly daemons is raised but a little above styx styx seizes on her once in a hundred and seventy-seven second revolutions and when it approaches the souls are startled and cry out for fear for hell swallows up a great many and the moon receives some swimming up from below which have run through the whole course of a generation unless they are wicked and impure for against such she throws flashes of lightning makes horrible noises and frights them away so that missing their desired happiness and bewailing their condition they are carried down again as you see to undergo another generation but said timarchus i see nothing but stars leaping about the hollow some carried into it and some darting out of it again these said the voice are daemons for thus it is every soul have some portion of reason a man cannot be a man without it but as much of each soul as it is mixed with flesh and the appetites is changed and though pain or pleasure becomes irrational every soul doth not mix herself after one sort for some plunge themselves into the body and so in this life the whole frame is corrupted by appetite and passion others are mixed as to some part but the pure part still remains without the body it is not drawn down into it but it swims above and touches the extremest part of the man's head it is like a cord to hold up and direct the subsiding part of the soul as long as it proves obedient it is not overcome by the appetites of the flesh that part that is plunged into the body is called the soul but the uncorrupted part is called the mind and the vulgar think it is within them as likewise they imagine the image reflected from a glass to be in that but the more intelligent who know it to be without call the daemon therefore those stars which you see extinguished imagine to be souls whose whole substance are plunged into bodies and those that recover their light and rise from below that shake of the ambient mist and darkness as if it were clay and dirt to be such as retire from their bodies after death and those that are carried up on high are the daemons of wise men and philosophers but pray primarily and endeavor to discover the tie by which every one is united with soul upon this timarchus looked as steadfastly as he could and saw some of the stars very much agitated some less as the corks upon a net and some whirled round like a spindle having a very irregular and even motion and not being able to run in a straight line 
and thus the voice said those that have a straight and regular motion belong to souls which are very manageable by reason of the genteel breeding and philosophical education and which upon earth do not plunge themselves into the foul clay and become irrational but those that move irregularly sometimes upwards sometimes downwards are striving to break loose from a vexing chain are joked to and strive with every unattractable conditions which ignorance and want of learning make headstrong and ungovernable sometimes they get the better of the passions and draw them to the right side sometimes they are drawn away by them and sink into sin and folly and then again endeavour to get out for the tie as it were a bridle on the rational part of the soul when it is pulled back draws in repentance for past sin and shame for loose and unlawful pleasures which is a pain and stroke inflicted on the soul by a governing and prevailing power so by this means it becomes gentle and manageable and like a tame beast without blows or torment it understands the minutest direction of the daemon such indeed are but very slowly and very hardly brought to a right temper but of that sort which from the very beginning are governable and obedient to the direction of the daemon are those prophetic souls those intimates of the gods such was the soul of Hermodorus, the Clasomenian, of which it is reported that for several nights and days it would leave his body and travel over many countries and return after it had viewed things and discourse with persons at a great distance. Till at last, by the treachery of his wife, his body was delivered to his enemies and they burned the house while the inhabitant was abroad. It is certain this is a mere fable. The soul never went out of the body, but it loosened the tie that held the daemon and permitted it to wander, so that this, seeing and hearing the various external occurrences, brought in the news to it. Yet those that burned his body are even till this time severely tormented in the deepest pit of hell. But this, youth, you shall more clearly perceive three months hence. Now depart, the voice continuing no longer. Timarchus, as he said turned about to discover who it was that spoke but a violent pain as if his skull had been pressed together seized his head so that he lost all sense and understanding but in a little while recovering he found himself in the entrance of the cave where he at first lay down this was timarch's story and when at athens in the third month after he had heard the voice he died we amazed at the event told socrates the whole tale socrates was angry with us for not discovering whilst timarchus was alive for he would very gladly have had a more full discovery from his own mouth i have done theocritus with the story and this cause but pray shall we not entreat the stranger to discuss this point for it is very proper subject for excellent and divine men what then said theonor Shall we not have the opinion of Epaminondas, who is of the same school, and as well learned as myself in these matters? But my father with a smile said, Sir, that is his humour. He loves to be silent. He is very cautious how he proposeth anything, but will hear it firmly. It is never weary of an instructive story. So does Pinafarus, the Florentine, 
who lived with him a long time would often say that never met a man that knew more or spake less therefore pray sir let us have your thoughts then said fionor in my opinion that story of timarchus should be accounted sacred and inviolable and consecrated to god and i wonder that anyone should disbelieve his report as simeus has related it swans horses dogs and dragons we sometimes call sacred and yet we cannot believe that men are sacred and favorites of heaven though we confess the love of man and not the love of birds to be a tribute of the deity now as one that loves horses doth not take equal care of the whole kind but always choosing out some one excellent rides trains feeds and loves him above the rest so amongst men superior powers choosing as it were the best out of the whole herd breed them more carefully and nicely not directing them it is true by reins and bridles but by reason imparted by certain notices and signs which the vulgar and common sort do not understand for neither do all dogs know the huntsman's nor all horses the jockey's signs but those that are bred to it are easily directed by a whistle or a hollow and very readily obey and homer seems to have understood the difference i mention for some of the prophets he calls argus some priests some such as understood the voice of the very gods were of the same mind with them and could foretell things thus helenus priam's son the same degreed on which consulting gods before agreed but in another place as i heard later from the immortal gods for as those that are not near the persons of kings or commanders understand their minds by fire signals proclamation sound of trumpet or the like but their favorites receive it from their own mouth so the deity converses immediately but with very few and very seldom but to most he gives signs from which the art of divination is gathered so that the gods direct the lives of very few and of such only whom they intend to raise to the highest degree of perfection and happiness those souls as i see it sings that are not to be put into another body but are freed from all union flesh turn guardian demons beside over others for as restless when old age makes them unfit for exercise as some love for it still left delight to see others wrestle and encourage them so souls that have passed all the stages of life and by their virtue are exalted into demons do not slight the endeavors of man but being kind to those that strive for the same attainment and in some sort bending and siding with them encourage and help them on when they see them near their hope and ready to catch the desired prize for the daemon doth not go along with everyone but as in a shipwreck those that are far from land their friends standing on the shore only look upon and pity but those that are near they encourage wait in to save so the daemon deals with mankind whilst we are emerged in worldly affairs and are changing bodies as vehicles for our conveyance he lets us alone to try our strength patiently to stem the tide and get into the haven by ourselves but if a soul have gone through the trials of a thousand generations and now when a course is almost finished strives bravely and with a great deal of labor endeavors to ascend the deity permits her proper genius to aid her and even gives leave to any other that is willing to assist the daemon thus permitted presently sets about the work and upon his approach the soul obeys and hearkens to his directions she is saved if not the daemon leaves her 
and she lies in miserable condition this discourse was just ended when epaminondas looking upon me said caphisius it is time for you to be at the ring the usual company will expect you we as soon as we break company will take care of theonor and i replied sir i go presently but i think theocritus here had something to say to you and me and galaxidorus let's hear it in god's name said he and rising up he led us into the corner of the porch when we had him in the midst of us we all began to desire him to make one in the conspiracy he replied that he knew the day appointed for the exile's return and that he and gorgidius had their friends ready upon the occasion but that he was not for killing any of the citizens without due process of law unless some grave necessity seems to warrant the execution besides it was requisite that there should be someone concerned in the design for such the multitude would not be jealous of but would think what they advised for the good of the commonwealth that their counsels proceeded from the love they had for the country not from any design of procuring their own safety this motion we liked he returned to simeus and his company and we went to the ring where we met our friends and as we wrestled together communicated our thoughts to one another and put things in order for action there we saw philip and archias very spruce anointed and perfumed going away to the prepared feast for philidius fearing they would execute epiphaeus before supper as soon as he brought Lysander and Herodias going, went to Archias, and putting him in the hopes of the woman's company he desired, and assuring him she would be at the place appointed, soon trepanned him into stupid carelessness and sensuality with his fellow wantons. About the night, the winds rising, the sharpness of the weather increased, and that forced most to keep within doors. We meeting with Democritus, Clalipius, and Theopompus, received them and others met other of the exiles for as soon as they were come over Clitharion, they separated and the stormy weather obliged them to walk with their faces covered so that without any fear or danger they passed through the city some as they entered had a flash of lightning on their right hand without a clap of thunder and that pretended safety and glory intimating that their actions should be splendid and without danger when we were all together in the house eight and forty in number and theocritus in a little room by himself offering sacrifice there was heard a sudden and loud knocking at the gate and presently one came and told us that two of archaeus guards who had some earnest business with Karen, knocked at the gate demanding entrance and were very angry that they were not admitted sooner Karen, surprised commanded the doors to be opened presently and going to meet them with a garland on his head as if he had been sacrificing or making merry asked the business once they replied philip and archias sent us to tell you that you must come before them presently and Karen demanding why they sent him for him in such haste and if all was well we know nothing more the messenger returned but what answer shall we carry back that replied Karen, putting off his garland and putting on his cloak I follow you, for should I go along with you, my friends would be concerned, imagining that I am taken into custody. Do so, said they, for we must go and carry the governor's orders to the city guard. With this they departed, but Karen, coming in and telling us the story, we were all very much surprised, 
imagining designs had been discovered, and most suspected hit the Senidius, and thought that he, having endeavoured to hinder their coming through Cidio and Fido, now that time for the dangerous attempt and avoided the approach, grew faint-hearted and made the discovery of the plot. And this seemed probable, for he did not appear at Caroline's house with the rest, and so was looked upon with by every one to be a rascal in a turncoat. Yet we all were of the opinion that Karen ought to obey the governor's orders to, and go to them. Then he, commanding his son to be brought to him, the prettiest youth, Achidamus, in all Thebes, skilled in most exercises, scarce fifteen years old, with very strong and lusty for his age, thus said, Friends, this is my only my beloved son, and him I put into your hands, conjuring you by all that's good. If you find treacherous, to kill him and have no mercy upon him for my sake. But as for your parts, sir, be provided against the worst that can come. Do not yield your bodies tamely to be butchered by base fellows, but behave yourselves bravely and persevere your souls invincible for the good and glory of your country. When Karen had ended, we admired the honesty and bravery of the man, but were angry at his suspicion and bade him take away his son. Karen, said Polypides, we should have taken it more kindly. If you had removed your son into another house, for why should he suffer for being in our company? Nay, let us send him away, now, that, if we fail, he may live and grow up to punish the tyrants and be a brave revenger of our deaths. By no means, replied Karen, we shall stay here and run the same danger with you all, for it is not best that he should fall into the power of his enemies. And you, my boy, be daring above thy age, and with these brave citizens venture upon necessary dangers for the defense of liberty and virtue. For we have a good hopes still left, and perhaps some God will protect us in this just and generous undertaking. These words of his, Achinamus, drew tears from many, but he not shedding so much as one, and delivering his son to Pelopius, went out of the door saluting and encouraging every one as he went. But you would have been exceedingly surprised at the serene and fearless temper of the boy, with his soul as great as that of Achilles' son, for he did not change color or seem concerned, but drew out and tied the goodness of Pelopidius' sword. In the meantime, Diotonus, one of Cephsidori's friends, came to us with his sword girth and breastplate on, and understanding that Achaius had sent for Karen, he chid Adelaide, and urged us to go and set upon the house presently, for so we should be too quick for them, and take them unprovided. Or, if we did not like that proposal, we said, it was better to go out and fall upon them while they were scattered and in confusion, than to coop ourselves up altogether in one room, and like a hive of bees be taken off by our enemies. Theocritus, likewise, pressed us to go on, affirming that the sacrifices were lucky and promised safety and success. Upon this, whilst we were arming and setting ourselves in order, Karen came in, looking very merrily in Johnson, and with a smile said, Courage, sirs, there is no danger, but the design goes on very well, for Caius and Philip, as soon as they heard that according to their order I was come, being very drunk and weakened in body and understanding, with much ado came out to me, and Caius said, I heard that the exiles are returned and lurk privately in town. At this I was very much surprised, 
but covering myself asked who are they sir and where we don't know said archias they were sent for you to inquire whether you had heard any clear discovery and i as it were surprised considering a little with myself imagined that what they heard was only a certain report that none of the associates had made this discovery for then they would have known the house but that it was a groundless suspicion and rumor about town that came to their ears and therefore said i remember whilst aclelides was alive that a great many idle lying stories were spread about to trouble and amuse us but sir i have not heard one word of this yet if you please i will inquire what ground there is for it and if i find anything considerable i shall give you notice yes praise the Philidius. examine this matter very narrowly slight no particular be very diligent and careful foresight is very commendable and safe when he had said this he led back achaeus into the room where they are now drinking but sirs let us not delay but begging the gods assistance put ourselves presently upon action upon this we went to prayers and encouraged one another it was now full supper time the wind was high and snow and small rain fell so that the streets and narrow lanes we passed were all empty they that were to assault leontides and hippetus whose houses joined went out in the usual clothes having no arms beside their swords amongst those were polybius democlides and cephisidorus carried melon and the rest that were to set upon achaeus put on breastplates and shady fur or pine garlands upon their heads some dressed themselves in women's clothes so they looked like a drunken company of murmurs but our enemies unlocking fortune Cimidanus, resolving to make their folly and carelessness as conspicuous as our eagerness and courage and having as in the play intermixed a great many dangerous underplots into our plan now at the very point of execution presented to us a most unexpected and hazardous adventure for whilst caron as soon as ever he parted from caracais and philip was come back and was setting us forward to execute the design letter from achaeus the chief priest of athens was sent to achaeus our governor which contained a full discovery of the plot in what house the exiles met and who were the associates achaeus being now dead drunk and quite beside himself with expectation of the desired woman took the letter and the baron saying sir it contains a matter of concern matters of concern tomorrow he replied and clapped it under his cushion and calling for the glass he bade the servant fill a brimmer and sent Philidius often to the door to see if the women were coming. The hopes of this company made him sit long, and we, coming opportunely, quickly forced our way through the servants to the hall, and stood a little at the door to take notice of everyone at table. Our shady garlands and apparel disguising our intentions, all sat silent in expectation of what would follow. But as soon as Melon, laying his hand upon his sword, was making through the midst of them, Cabrichus, who was the archon chosen by lot catching him by the arm cried out to philidius is this not melon melon loosed his hold presently and drawing out his sword made at staggering achaeus and laid him dead on the floor Karen wounded philip in the neck and whilst he endeavoured to defend himself with the cups that were about him bicentheus threw him off his seat and ran him through we persuaded Cabirius to be quiet, not to assist the times, but to join with us to free his country, for whose good he was consecrated governor and devoted to the gods. But when being drunk, he would not hearken to reason, but grew high, began to bustle, and turned the point of his spear upon us, 
for our governors always carry a spear with them. I, catching it in the midst, and raising it higher than my head, desired him to let it go and consult his own safety, for else he would be killed. But Theopompus, standing on his right side, and smiting him with his sword, said, Lie there, with those whose interests you espoused. Thou shalt not wear the garment in three thieves, nor sacrifice to the gods any more. By whom thou hast so often cursed thy country, by making prayers so many times for the prosperity of her enemies. Cabichus, falling, Theocritus standing by, snatched up the sacred spear, and kept it from being stained. And some few of the servants that dared to resist, we presently dispatched. The others that were quiet were shut up in the hall, being very unwilling that they should get abroad and make any discovery, till we knew whether the other company had succeeded in their attempt. They managed the business thus. Pelopidius and those with him went softly and knocked at Leonphilus gate, and the servant coming to the mount and business, they said, they came from Athens and brought a letter from Castilifratus to Leonphilus. The servant went and acquainted his master, and was all to open the door. As soon as it was unbarred, they all finally rushed in and overturning the servant, ran through the hall directly to Leonphilus' chamber. He, presently suspecting what was the matter, drew his dagger and stood upon his guard, and a just man, it is true, and a tyrant, but courageous and strong of his hands. But he forgot to put out the candle and get amongst the invaders in the dark, and so appearing the light, as soon as they opened the door, he ran Cephisodorus through the belly. Next he gained Pelopidius, and cried out to the servants to come and help, but those Similius and his men secured. Nor did they dare to come to handy blows to the strongest and most valiant of the citizens. There was a smart encounter between Pelopidius and Leonphilus, for the passage was very narrow, and Cephisodorus falling and dying in the midst, nobody else could come to strike one blow. At last, Pelopidius, receiving a slight wound to the head, with repeated thrust overthrew Leonphilus and killed him upon Cephisodorus, who was yet breathing, for he saw his enemy fall, and shaking Pelopidius by the hand and saluting all the rest, he died with a smile upon his face. This done, they went to the house of Hypatheus, and entering after the same manner, they pursued Hypatheus, flying over the roof into a neighbor's house, and caught and killed him. From thence they marched directly to us, and we met in the piazza, and having saluted and told one another of our success, we went all to the prison, and Philidius, calling out to the keeper, said, Philip and Archias command you to bring Aphitheus presently before them. But he, considering the unseasonness of the time, and that Philidius, as being yet hot and out of breath, spoke with more than ordinary concern, suspected the cheat. A reply to Philidius, Pray, sir, did ever the governor send for a prisoner at such a time before, or ever by you, what warrant do you bring? As he was praising thus, Philidius ran him through, a base fellow, upon whose carcass the next day many women spat and trampled. We, breaking open the prison door, first called Artifiteus by name, and then others, as every one had a mind, they, knowing our voice, presently leaped out of the straw in which they lay. With their chains upon their legs, the others that were in the stocks held out their hands, and begged us not to leave them behind. These being set free, many of the neighbors came in to us, understanding and rejoicing at what was done. The women, too, as soon as they were acquainted with the flying report, and mindfully of Boethian strictness, ran out to one another, and inquired of every one they met how things went. Those that found their fathers or their husbands followed them, 
the tears and prayers of the modest women were a very great enticement to all they met our affairs being in this condition understanding that epimondus cocidius and their friends were drawn into a body about minerva's temples i went to them many honest worthy citizens first joined and the number continually increased when i had informed them in the particulars of what was done and desired them to march into the market-place to assist their friends they proclaimed liberty the multitude were furnished with arms of the piazzas that were stuffed with spoil the neighbors armorous shops then hipposinidis with his friends and servants appeared having by chance joined the trumpeters that were coming to thieves against the feast of hercules great some gave the alarm in the market-place others in other parts of the city distracting the enemies on all sides as the whole city was in arms some lighting smoky fires concealed themselves in the cloud and fled to the castle drawing to them the select bands which used to keep guard about the castle all night the garrison of the castle when these poured in among them scattered and in disorder though they saw us all in confusion and knew we had no standing compact body it would not venture to make a descent though they were above five thousand strong they were really afraid but pretended they dared not move without losing radius orders who contrary to his usual customs was absent from the castle that day for which neglect the spartans as i was told having got lysenoridius into their hands fined him heavily and having taken hippopanidas and arcesus at current they put them both to death without delay and surrendering the castle to us upon articles they marched out with their garrison End of section thirty recording by simon brower